Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Begin in verse 11 here in just a moment. I want to open by being very uh, spiritual and say, go Rams. Uh, nope, I'm not really a Rams fan, but I hate evil. So go Rams. That might, be the, that might be the last thing you agree with me on all day. Okay. Mark chapter 11. If you're visiting Christ Church, I used to work here. My name's Mark. Uh, hope none of the elders are pro-patriots. Uh, we are in this lengthy series through the Gospels, and today we are going to continue in Sunday of the Passion Week. The most important week to happen in the history of mankind was the week that Jesus went into the holy city of Jerusalem proclaimed himself king of the Jews, and gave himself away as a sacrifice on the Passover for all of us. It's a powerful week. We're on Sunday. Let me tell you where we were last week so you can catch up with us if you weren't with us. Last Sunday, uh, in the message of Sunday of Passion Week, Jesus left the town of Bethany, which is about four miles from Jerusalem, and he journeyed to the city, and he was met by a large crowd that knew he was coming in for the Passover They knew that this was the day that they would choose their Passover lamb to be sacrificed, and Jesus rode in on a donkey, a symbol of peace. Uh, When conquering heroes entered a city and they come in on a horse, it meant war. But when he came in on a donkey, he was celebrating and, and letting them know that he came in peace. You see, he did not come as the king of Israel to overthrow Rome. He came as the king of righteousness to overthrow evil. And what he did that Sunday was different than what the people expected, and it was better than what they ever imagined. Verse 11 of Mark 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus enters the city, and he goes directly to the temple, stays there a few moments, and leaves the city and goes back to the place he was staying. I think it's significant for us to note that he didn't go to the place of power He went to the place of worship. Notice that and pay attention to it. Those details matter. Instead of going to the place of Rome's authority or the Jewish leader's authority, Jesus went to the place of God's authority. He went to the place of worship called the temple. And I think you'll notice, I'll talk about it in a little bit. You'll notice that every time Jesus teaches us, he's teaching us about the character of God. He's always going to be about worship to Jesus, what we worship and why we worship it. So it's Monday and he's returning to Jerusalem, to the temple. I'm going to use two phrases as my major points this morning, and I'll connect them at the end, I hope. First of all, we're going to talk about nothing but leaves, and then we're going to talk about nothing but fruit. And it comes right from the text. But I need to caution you in advance. This text may seem a bit disparate, like there's a fig tree moment, and there's a temple moment, and then we're back to the fig tree, and then he starts talking about prayer. And you may look at that and say, well, how are these things connected? I think I can show you, if you'll track with me, That this is one theme that Jesus is teaching, and it's a good theme. Jesus goes in the city, and he finds nothing but leaves. The next time he returns in the book of Revelation, he's going to expect nothing but fruit. And we need to pay attention to this. It's not just about them. It's about us. Let's begin. Nothing but leaves. Verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Is Jesus having a bad Monday? 
Because this is what it is. It's Monday. I have horrible Mondays. I wish we could get rid of Monday out of every week, but we can't. Is Jesus having a Mark Monday here? Where he's just grumpy and grouchy and always hungry? Because I can relate to Jesus here. He's just walked probably a little over an hour. It's about four miles. And he's having to go up the Mount of Olives and down in the, the valley. And so he's probably walked hour, hour and a half. And he's hungry. And he sees a fig tree on his way. And he goes over. And Mark gives us some details that as an American kid, not growing up on a farm, I may miss. But I've done my research and I found some interesting things. He goes by and Mark says that he went by and the tree had nothing but leaves on it because it wasn't time for the fruit to be full. It wasn't the season for picking figs. And we may think, well, Jesus, that's a tough expectation, isn't it? That here you have this moment where you're yelling at a tree for not producing figs when it's not supposed to produce figs. And then I found out some realities, facts. On a fig tree, the fruit comes before the leaves. So for Jesus to expect to find fruit was not uncommon. So what did Mark mean when he said it wasn't the season for it? The ripe, full ripe fruit of a fig tree doesn't produce itself until sometime between August and October each fall. But I also learned in my research that there is an edible, very tiny piece of fruit that starts in the spring. That's what Jesus wanted. Little tiny baby fig that he could eat on. He was that hungry. And when he went to the tree, he's going to use it as an object lesson. When the tree had leaves, it should have had fruit. Nod your head if you understand what I just taught. So it's not just that Jesus was like, I expect that Coke machine to have pop in it even though it's empty. No, he actually went to the fig tree and he's like, there should be fruit on it. There's none. It has leaves. And I think you'll learn something by setting Jesus' teachings. The last thing that Jesus wants out of any of us is pretense. He doesn't want you and I to walk around with religious leaves and no fruit. He has full expectation that it'll be different. You might remember a story found in Luke chapter 13. We, discovered, we talked about it back in November of 2017, so I know you remember it vividly. You probably still talk about that sermon. Well, let me tell you what the sermon was about, because we all forgot. The sermon was about a man who owned a vineyard, and he wanted to get some fruit from his vineyard, and he went there, and there was no fruit to be found. So he said to the vineyard keeper, I want you to cut it all down, burn it up. And the vineyard keeper said, sir... Give me a little more time. Let me fertilize it and prune it. And let me give it just one more season of growth to see if, give me a little more time. So this was in Luke 13, but now we're in Mark 11. I think Jesus is showing us that a little more time has passed and he expects to find fruit in Israel. They are the vine and they should be producing fruit because they're connected to him. And he doesn't find any. And so he curses the tree. How do we know he cursed the tree? Because Peter goes, dude, you killed it. And he did. Because what he said to that tree was, you should be producing fruit. A time, enough time has passed and you're not. They had withered from the roots up. The fig tree looked good, looked promising, but produced nothing. You see, when Jesus sets an expectation, it must be met. I want you to think about that with me. If Jesus is who he says he is, well, shoot. If Jesus is who we say he is, when he sets an expectation, should we meet it? Okay, three of us are in agreement, and the rest of you just don't talk. Let's try this again. I mean, we're in church. It's safe. Let's testify. If your master asks you to do something, should you do it? Is it optional? Some of you are like, well, no, it's not. And here's the thing I want you to see. When Jesus goes into the city the first time, he finds that there's no fruit. When he comes back in Revelation the second time as king, 
What does he expect? Thank you. He does expect fruit. And not only does he expect fruit, let me give you good news. Because right now you're all like, oh man, I stink at this. Yes, you and I do. It's not about us. Here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus sets an expectation, he gives you the ability to meet it. Even when you don't think you have it on your own. He never gives us an expectation that he is not needed to meet. For many of us, that takes away everything we've known about Christianity. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do better. Good luck. It won't work. Unless the spirit of God is in you and calling you and refining you and producing fruit in you, you cannot meet his expectations. That's why he doesn't abandon us. That's why he left the Holy Spirit to fill us. Because he has a plan for us. He's, he's a good, good father, is he not? So he doesn't ask anything of us that he's not equipped us and given us the, the power through the Holy Spirit to meet those expectations. You see, obedience doesn't produce blessings. Obedience reveals the blessings God promises. There's a difference between doing the right thing and God giving you a piece of candy. There's a difference between doing the wrong thing and God making you do the dishes or clean up your room or go rake the lawn. Here's what I want us to understand. God didn't change the rules when Jesus came. He has always said there are blessings found in obedience and there are consequences found in disobedience. Calling blessings and curses. All the way back when Joshua was taking the people into the promised land after Moses had been removed. Joshua said, understand, obey the Lord and live Disobey the Lord and die. Consequences, blessings have always been a part of God's plan. And Jesus comes into the holy city and he's calling it out loud. There are blessings of fruit in your life when you obey. And there are consequences of only leaves when you don't. So the first time he comes, he sees no fruit. The second time he comes, he expects fruit. And his expectations are not on you. His expectations are on you trusting him. And what he might do with it. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. I want to pause here. If you were with us last week, I pointed out that a non-religious historian recorded that during the Passovers, around the time that Jesus lived on the earth that they would count up to 250,000 different lambs would be sacrificed at the Passover. 250,000. And each lamb would represent a family. Could you imagine the number of people in the city? Just imagine for a second the size of crowds that would have been gathered in the temple area on the days that they were selecting the Passover lamb. And Jesus, one dude, walks in the midst of that And according to Mark, he overturns tables, he stops all the traffic, he didn't even permit people to carry supplies in and out. How much authority does that guy have? A bunch. The crowd could have turned on him and carried him off and killed him on the spot. Instead, everybody stops and Jesus goes into this. Now there's a debate whether Jesus did this twice or once. I tend to believe twice for reasons of my own. He did it at the beginning of his ministry and established his authority. He comes back, a little more time has passed, and he overturns the tables, and the crowd stops and watches. Verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written? That's a reference to the Old Testament. Think God's changed everything and it's all different now? We don't need our Old Testament? It's not true. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. He didn't get rid of it. 
Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? He's quoting Isaiah 56. But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teacher of the law heard them and began looking for, or heard this and began to looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. See, it seems like there's a fig tree story and then there's a thing in the temple and then we're back to the fig tree. No, no, no. The fig tree is Jesus' explanation of what's wrong with the temple. It's withering from the roots. You see, the temple was the center of the Jews' life. It was the one place on earth that they knew the presence of God was. It was the place they would go to to be close to God and to be with God. It was that special place in the world. You see, At this point in time, this is the third temple built on this spot, but it's the spot that matters, not the temple. Back in Genesis 22, okay, so if you were with us at the 10 or the 1045 hour last week, I was really tired in the fourth go round on this sermon. And I guess I said that Adam took Isaac to the mountain to offer him. That was blasphemy. (laughs) Forgive me. His father, Abraham, was asked by God in Genesis 22 to go to Mount Moriah And to offer his son, God did something really particular with Abraham. He said, do you really trust me? If you do, I want you to take your only son, Isaac. I want you to take him to a mountaintop and I want you to offer his life to me as a sacrifice. I want you to trust me that much. Abraham knew that God had told him because Abraham had presumed something different. That God said, no, Isaac will be the father of a great nation. Isaac had no children. And Abraham, by faith, took Isaac to Mount Moriah. And when he raised the blade... And he was going to take his son's life to do what God asked him to do by faith. Knowing full well they would come down off the mountain because as he went up the mountain, you'll find in Genesis 22, he looked at his servants and he said, we will be back, plural. Two went up the hill, two were coming down the hill. That's how much faith Abraham had. And when he raised the blade to take his son's life, God said, you do trust me. There is a ram stuck in the bushes. He will be the replacement sacrifice for Isaac. Offer him to me. And Abraham did that on Mount Moriah. 900 years later, King David would buy a piece of Mount Moriah because he wanted to build a holy place there. He wanted to build a temple. And God said to David, you can't build a temple because you killed Uriah. There's blood on your hands. He was forgiven of his sin, but the consequences remained. And in our lifetime, the consequences of every one of our sins remains, even though we're forgiven. We have to deal with that. That's part and parcel of the curses and the blessings. And so... King David purchases the property and King Solomon, six years later, would begin to take all the materials his dad collected and build the first temple. It was gorgeous, full of gold and beautiful and precious gems. The richest materials in the world were in this temple. They said it's the most beautiful thing ever built. But God's people, instead of leaning on God and relying on God, they became reliant on other gods and other nations and their own control. They started living a man-centric worship instead of a God-centric worship. And God turned them over to the Babylonians and the first temple was devastated. It was stripped of all of its precious materials, including the Ark of the Covenant. They lost everything. They built another temple. After that, 70 years after that, they built a smaller temple. It wasn't ornate or as beautiful, but God's presence would still reside there until man started making worship about them rather than about God. And the second temple was wiped out again too. And then King Herod decided to build a third temple. And this was during the time of Jesus. 
It would take him 86 years to build this temple. It wasn't completed when Jesus had his earthly ministry here. In fact, one time as they were building it, Jesus walked by and he said, I'm going to tear that down in three days, rebuild it. And they're like, are you kidding? He's been working on it 50 years. It's not close to done. What Jesus was telling them was, I'm a baseball player. I get this analogy. Jesus was saying three strikes and they're out. It was the third temple, but God would would remove it off the face of the earth because his presence could not be there because they were not seeking God. It was not a house of prayer, a place of communication and community with God. It had become a place of profit. He called it a place of robbers. Here's why. I'm going to use our, our land to make sense of this. Let's say people are coming from New York to Orinoco for the great festival because that happens a lot, Right? So these people are coming from New York, and part of coming to the festival is to pay an entrance fee or a temple tax, if you will. And they would come, and, and they would come to Orinogo, and we'd say, oh, no, no, your, your New York money doesn't work here. You need to use Orinogo money, which is world famous. And you don't have any Orinogo money? And the New Yorkers are like, no, we don't have any Orinogo money. Well, we'll give you, let's trade your money for our money at a 25% markup. Oh, and that lamb you brought for sacrifice, it's got a janky eye. Can't use it. But I got a lamb over here, I'll sell you, that's perfect for a thousand bucks. And then we have to convert your money again into what? Orinogo money at a 25% markup. And Jesus walked in a place that was supposed to be about everybody being common and in the presence of the almighty God. And it was turning into a place that people were being monetized. And Jesus had enough. He'd warned them before and now he comes in and he turns the temple inside out. In fact, nobody will touch him. He's throwing their money around and he's scattering the animals and he's chasing them through it and he's owning this place and he's redeeming it. He was announcing that the temple has lost its place. But then he said, good news, I'm going to be your temple. And the presence of God will reside in every one of you by my sacrifice on the cross. He'll say in just a few weeks in our study, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God into every single one of you. As Corinthians tells us, the letter to that church, you become the temple of the living God and his presence abides in you. Isn't it good news that we don't have to travel across the world to be in the presence of God? That there's a guaranteed presence of God in every single person who lives by faith in him and receives the blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. And then they leave that moment. Everybody's like, whoa, dude's got power. And they go by and Peter goes, ha, that tree's dead. See, the tree and the temple are the same thing. The tree is the enactment of what Jesus was going to do in the temple that day. And when he left the temple that day, the temple was destroyed. Oh, they'd rebuild it. But in 70 AD, the Romans would come in and wipe it to the ground as Jesus told him they would. And here you have this moment where Jesus brings it all together. He pulls it all together. You see what Jesus is saying is, don't show me leaves, show me fruit. Show me a connection with God. Show me that, see, because everything Jesus did pointed toward God. Listen to all the parables and you're going to find out how good God is. Listen to all the teachings and you're going to find out how good God is. And if you're frustrated right now and you're like, Comparatively, I, there's probably no fruit in my life. That's because you're trying by your own power to produce something your power can't produce. The fruit of the Spirit only comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And most of us, I hope this isn't offensive, but I'm scared. As a pastor, I need to say this. If you look at the lives of most Christians, I'm producing the fruit of Mark. I have two, do, uh, two good days in a row and I want you to throw me a parade. Hey, I didn't lip off to anybody. Yay me. It's not sustainable. He's not asking you to produce your own fruit. 
He's asking you to trust the spirit of the living God to produce in you goodness, kindness, patience, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. Those come from God only. Remember, Jesus never sets an expectation that he does not give you the power through the spirit to produce and to enact. So you have this moment when Peter says to him, the tree died, it withered. Jesus was like, yeah, and so is the temple. It is withered from the roots. And so the temple is done. And Jesus becomes the place we find the presence of God. And then he says, I'm going to pour my spirit upon you and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that's going to guide your life. You see, Jesus' teaching always goes back to the heart of worship. The reason the temple was decimated was because the heart of worship was not toward God. It was toward monetizing other people and keeping people out. And Jesus said the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. The Jews felt that God was their personal property. And God said, no, I blessed you to be a blessing. And now I'm going to send Jesus and he's going to bless all nations. And on the day of Pentecost, when the church began, it started. So that's what it means to say nothing but leaves. But what about nothing but fruit? The second time Jesus comes, he has expectation and he's given you everything you need to do everything he's asked. It's not about busy work. It's actually about being changed by the power of the spirit in such a way that the fruit of your life makes a difference. Look at verses 22 through 25 with me as we head toward conclusion. So Peter goes, dude, you killed the tree. And Jesus said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if anyone, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Notice what Jesus does here. He says, you think me killing a fig tree is a big deal? You could move a mountain, Peter. If you really had faith in God. Now, here's the big point. Jesus didn't say, didn't say have faith in your faith. You hear that a lot if you listen carefully to what's going on in our culture. Just have faith and God wants you to be beautiful, successful, and prosperous. I don't find that in the word. I'm not to have faith in my faith. I'm to have faith in my Jesus. It's what my faith is in that gives it power. Not that I have it. And Jesus said, you could move a mountain if you believed that that's what I was doing in you. He also said, and you also could do something crazy like forgive somebody if you let me empower you too. If you allowed what I've done for you to be the motivation for your life and the power of your life, then you could do crazy things like forgiving people. And we say, but how can I forgive them? They did it on purpose. They probably did. And it hurt me. I'm sure it did. Not dismissing that at all. And it'd be really hard to forgive them because if I forgive them, I become vulnerable to them again. Probably true. So you, by your own ability, can't do something as big as forgive. But through the grace of Jesus Christ, all of us can. He has given us the power of his spirit and the truth of his word to live this out. So he's given us some hard tasks to do. You see, Jesus wasn't just condemning the appearance of only leaves. He was calling us to produce a fruit through him as the only way. And he tells us three things in his little statement on prayer. I used to always think this was an odd piece to come after the fig tree in the temple. And now I see it clearly. First thing he tells us is that God has put his power on display for a reason. I love Peter. Peter's like, huh, that tree. Sunday afternoon. It was good. Monday morning, dead. 
Peter's like, you did that. Jesus is like, yeah, and I calmed the waters and I walked on water and I healed a blind guy and I raised a couple of people from death to life and I've done a lot of things and the reason I've done that is not to prove to you who I am but to display my power so you can believe. Remember what he also said? And blessed are those who have never seen me do these things and still believe. God has put his power on display and I call it the scriptures. For many of us, reading the Bible becomes this technical thing and we get lost and we don't know the background and we get nervous and I'm not making fun of you. I'm telling you, if you look for God in the scriptures and you find the goodness of the Father, you will find life in the word. Remember what he's done in your own life. Listen to what he's done in other people's lives. He is putting his power on display so you can believe and you can have faith. Secondly, God is where the power will come from. It won't come by your faith. It won't come by how hard you try to have faith. It'll come by who you put your faith in. It's the character of God that's the issue. Is he wise enough and good enough for you to trust? Because John says in 1 John chapter 5 that if we ask anything according to his will. So God doesn't serve us, we serve God. But God blesses us in the service. And so he's calling every one of us to not only believe that God from the past is the God of today, but also to believe that his will is our fullness. You see, when we make it about the character of God, we will find our thirst that we chase so many things to satisfy will be found satisfied in Jesus. That the hunger for our lives of what's missing will be found in Jesus. My goodness, did you hear the sermon in the baptistry today? I almost went home. Because that's like, you know, after a walk-off homer trying to still get in at bat. That was amazing. Did you hear his testimony? The things that used to try to fill him no longer satisfy him. Jesus took those away by replacing it with him. Praise the Lord for that. What a story. And what a story each one of us can live out. God is where the power will come from. Not within you, but from him. And lastly, God can be believed in. God wants to do the same kind of things he did in the lives of Abraham and Moses and David and, and Daniel and Joseph and on and on and on. In the lives of Jesus and Peter and Paul and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, I can go on. All of these people were not special people. They just believed and trusted a special God. Jesus says, those who don't doubt in his heart but believe, it will be granted him. There is power available for you to produce the fruit Jesus desires. Goodness. Patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Faith is not the power I possess. Faith is opening myself up to the power of Jesus in me. It's trusting his teaching. It's trusting his heart. It's trusting his nature. It's trusting his ability to keep every promise he made to me. Jesus told us, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, Are we seeking his power in our lives or are we saying to Jesus, let me know. So I had a unique experience this week I want to share. I got permission late, but I got it. So we're driving into our neighborhood going home and my 14-year-old's in the car with me and his mom's not there. So this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I pulled the car over. I got out of the driver's seat. I told him to get out of the passenger seat and go sit in the driver's seat. Instantly, he looked at me and he goes, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. I go, no, I know you never have. And he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And he gets in the seat. We start driving down and I said, hey, don't hold it tight. Hold the steering loosely. And he goes, I know. And I went, oh, you're on your own. (laughs) 
And he's like, Dad. And I go, no, no, you got this, right? And he's like, no. I said, be teachable. As he was heading for a mailbox with my wife's company car, I thought, when does the sermon end and I take over? But I looked at him. I said, trust me, I've driven. You can do this. I wouldn't put you here if you couldn't do it. And he drove right in the garage. He almost broke our pop refrigerator, but he got in the garage safely. He was so proud of himself. And, we get in the, and I said, here's the number one lesson. You can drive if you listen to people who can teach you how to drive. And I got in the house and Jesus did a work on this kid. He looked right at me and I heard Jesus. He sounds like me, but I heard Jesus say these words to me. He said, yeah, how about you let me teach you to drive too? And if you want to live a life of faith, you never stop being teachable to the will of God. Amen? Which means you need to ask God, how do I do this? How do I parent? How do I spouse? That's not a verb, I made it. How do I spouse? How do I work? How do I play? How do I rest? Jesus, teach me. I've been driving a long time, but I can get better. And in fact, I want to produce a fruit that's so different from what I do that you can do a work in me. James 4 says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask to consume it with your own desires. That's why I have leaves, not a lot of fruit. Because I want Jesus to serve my wishes instead of me saying to him, teach me how to produce peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, self-control. I want you to think about something. I want you to become something and I want you to do something. This is what persuasion is all about. It's presenting the word of God so that we engage our heads, our hearts, and our hands. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to ponder this. This may not be new to you or it may be new, but it's true. I want you to think about this and meditate on it and hold it. When the world's telling you what your identity is, remember these truths. God has a desire to produce fruit in you and he's able to do it if you let him. Oh, he may stick your feet in fertilizer. He may soak you underwater, but he can. You are valuable, not because of what you're doing. You're valuable because you've been made in the image of God. He knows your name. He knows your fingerprint and everything about you. You're not just one of many. You are unique in his eyes. You are his daughter. You are his son. Jesus has promised that faith in God and the work of Jesus Christ will matter if you trust it. It may not always look like it's winning. It may look like Friday of Passion Week when Jesus is on a cross dying, but Sunday is coming. And there is a reason to believe. Think about that this week. Don't let the world tell you anything different. I have not lied to you. I've told you the story of Scripture. What should you become? Here's what we can become if we turn our hearts toward Christ. You can become a person who desires every day to produce fruit, even in the smallest Amounts. It's not the size of the fruit, it's the faith that brought it to life. That you can become the person who walks by faith in who God is and what Jesus has done, and you can surrender to the fact that you're a follower and Jesus doesn't need us to lead him anywhere. You can become a person who confesses easily when rebellion is tempting you. That you don't have to say yes. You can say no and survive. In fact, I'll tell you that the more you say no, the more you thrive. And what can you do? Pray expectantly. We don't have to go to a building. Prayer is not entering into a space anymore. It's not not closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and folding our hands. Prayer is not a position we take. It's a reaction we have to life. It's an engagement with a living, active God whose spirit speaks in us, who now we are the temple with possessing the spirit of God so that when we argue with the spirit, we should surrender. 
And you should obey him. You can do this. He will give you the spirit of obedience if you're willing. It's not about your ability, it's about your availability. You can surrender and serve. For some of you today, I want to be real honest. You saw the testimony. You saw a man who had a bunch of reasons to quit on himself, who decided after a long period of time, if God doesn't help me, this isn't a life I want to live. And look what God's done. Oh, it won't always be easy. But for some of us, we have never surrendered to Jesus. We're sorry we did what we did. We're sorry we've sinned. But being sorry is different than confessing to Jesus that we need him to overcome it. And left to our own devices, we're desperate. It's making him Lord, which means... I not only will serve you, but serving him isn't a punishment for what we've done wrong. We serve him because we trust that he's good and he can break us free into the life he created us to have. You've never confessed it, then you've never been washed free of it. Remember, he said that we forgive as we've been forgiven, and let's start with being forgiven. For some of you this morning around this room are four tables in the corners of this room with lamps lit on. Our elders and staff will be there. And I'm going to challenge some of you today. Is today the day that you make Jesus the Lord of your life by surrendering and accepting his sacrifice for you? Is today that day? Or are you going to wait for another day? Because if you have questions to be answered, don't try to answer them yourself. Answer them in community. Come talk to us. We'd love to have a conversation with you because we're satisfied customers. Following Jesus is better than the life I used to live. And it's not only better in the future, it's better right now. And for some of you, you just need to be prayed with. You're broken, you're weak, you're hurting, you're scared. You want to trust Jesus. You want to empty your hands and receive by faith what he's offering you. But you're not sure how to do it. Don't be proud. Be real. You can go to any one of these tables as we sing in the next few minutes or after the service. We'll stay here to have all the conversations you want to have today. Because we believe that Jesus can produce in us everything he expects. And my prayers for all of us is that when he returns... On that great day, riding that conquering horse into town, he will find fruit in each and every one of us, not just leaves. Because I think he deserves it. How about you? Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.